are a group of care experts with a vision of creating a world where care experienced people are thriving, not just surviving. We share our knowledge and experience to inform, uplift and empower young care experienced people to navigate the conflicts and challenges of life. In this season, we cover a range of different topics, all with a focus on personal development, from relationships, mental health and trauma, thinking about success and reimagining the care system. We know that some of these topics can be triggered, so before you listen, have a read of the summary so you can get an idea of what we'll be talking about. And as always, look after yourself and reach out if you need support. Welcome back to Let's Start Conflict. Today we are going to be discussing abandonment and loss that we experience from going into the care system and being in the care system itself. We're doing things a bit different today because we have two special guests with us, Jamie and Mary. Hi, I'm uh, Jamie. I'm a 40-year-old uh, care-experienced uh, psychotherapist and counsellor based in London. Hi, um, Mary-Anne. Uh, Mary's fine and I'm a care-experienced trainer, advisor and advocate. Thanks for coming. And today on the call, and if you need to introduce myself, I'm Shanika, by the way. And today on the call, we have um, Leanne, Evie, Alice and Anya and Ash. And George. <laughs> Oh, sorry, George. <laughs> How's everyone doing today? I'm fine, thanks. Good, thank you. I'm doing well. Good, good, good. So, a bit of background to this, to the topic and what we're discussing today. I came across this word abandonment and abandonment issues, and it's quite an interesting um, topic. Recently, I came across a documentary on the BBC around Put Up in Care by Ashley John Baptiste, looking at the lives of different care experienced people who have been split up basically from their siblings and the trauma and the loss that they experienced from that. So it was quite interesting and I, I came across an article in the medical news today. It basically suggested that we all can develop abandonment issues through losing a loved one and linking that back to the care system, we often are separated from parents, primary caregivers, again from siblings and even when we go into the care system sometimes we are not in the actual same household, we get moved around, and that is a form of loss. And there is a lot of research out there um, suggests that the feeling of abandonment can lead to certain behaviours around, you know, sadness, withdrawal, you know, aggression, and also self-image problems and other issues. So today I just wanted to kind of speak to Jamie and Mary who have experience in understanding the issues around that and I had a few questions I wanted to ask around how they view certain behaviours that might come along because of experiencing abandonment or loss in childhood. I think it's important to use the language of attachment here so attachment theory and what John Bowlby his ideas really is that you know our attachment is a biological imperative of us as, as human beings so we need to attach to others in order to survive and experiences of abandonment in our early childhood or, or really throughout our lives can be really under, understood as a trauma you know traumatic experience and this impacts on the way that we can regulate and and stay safe in our nervous system if we don't have those you know those safe parent or caregiver figures to, to help support us so that will understandably lead to adaptive behaviors really in order to stay safe so I'll pass over to um, Mary just to see if she has anything to add there yeah I think when we think about this question like Jamie says we have to come at it from this the trauma lens of understanding why we need attachment and and the importance of attachment especially in those early years and when we understand what that means for a child and their development and ultimately it's everything and it's relationally based it's based in relationships right so when we understand then if that's what we need we need attachment we need the secure base the opposite then or what, or what we don't get from that when we refer to abandonment is essentially the opposite of what our needs what we what we what we need right growing up to develop healthily and safely so if we are able to understand that attachment is a basic need for a child growing up then it's easier to understand then when we don't have that when we have abandonment or loss in childhood then it's natural that that's going to link to certain behaviors children and young people might start demonstrating right because 
it's a loss. It's a loss in part of our development. Um, and that links to the ACEs research about adverse childhood experiences um, that talk about kind of 10, it lists 10, but there are more um, adverse experiences such as like physical, emotional abuse, neglect, household violence. All of these kind of experiences in early childhood can then lead to maladaptive behaviours, basically behaviours like Jamie just mentioned, where it's essentially trying to protect ourselves, um, trying to survive in the world. There's a great uh, quote that, uh, Mary, you found from Tara Brack, actually, on this, which is trauma is when we have encountered an out of control, frightening experience that has disconnected us from all sense of resourcefulness or safety or coping or love. Uh, I think that's a really good reflection um, and, and really this sense of a lack of safety, not just in, in, in the loss of the relationship, but actually a safety in our bodies, you know, and, and our, our nervous systems really um, having to adapt to that, to that safety of others being taken away or actually the experience of relationships not being safe. Yeah, I think that's that's what we think about when I think about um, the behaviours that come from abandonment as an adverse childhood experience and and any behaviors then it's it's protective factors right so it's it's whatever those behaviors are our body is just trying to keep us safe trying to keep us alive and we've learned that if we behave in this way then then maybe we'll maybe we'll get through the day right so it's like it's how we're protecting ourselves our brain and our body are always trying to um brain's always trying to help us survive and and it will do that in whatever way possible even if those behaviors aren't um healthy so yeah there's another quote from a guy called patrick tomlinson who's a brilliant trauma uh, informed practitioner and um, therapist and he talks of trauma as an emotional shock so it's an experience that's too overwhelming for the person to process and that links to then abandonment and loss as we talk about as one of those adverse experiences that as a young child that their brain is developing it's too overwhelming to process and therefore we adapt these behaviors that essentially help us survive and protect ourselves so like for example i know when i was younger i'd be very testy defensive like how far can i push you before you reject me before you abandon me so it would all be like if i'm naughty 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 and they're still there it's fine because i know that then i can trust them that's exactly some of those behaviours are really typical for um, children, and young people that have experienced ab- abandonment and loss. And especially we'll see this throughout in the world of foster care. Um, I've done some work with some foster parents and they talk about that they just push me away and they just keep going. And you're going, well, just just stay, just wait yeah. a little bit longer. Just like let them because right now that's it. They're pushing their boundaries because they've been let down so many times before that who's to say that you're not going to do the same, right? So, yeah, yeah this is what um, Jamie and I were talking about earlier is through this trauma lens, like we refer to behaviour as a communication of a need, right? Um, I don't know if you want to expand on that anymore, Jamie, but... Yeah, if we look at, rather than seeing behaviours as, as as the behaviour, we see the behaviour as a communication through a trauma-informed lens. So what's underneath the behaviour? And I thought that was a really great, Alice, your your example there, we map that onto the, to the nervous system. So if we think of fight, flight and freeze, yeah, you, you were in a fight response there, which was, I'm fighting in order to know that I feel safe, Yeah. So, yeah, and I need you need to know that you that you can um, you can support me when I'm in my di- yeah. you know these are the most difficult times yeah yeah so yeah. And, and sometimes it's about fighting for for connection and for and for safety. I was just gonna say like do you do you think that every young person person is aware that that's actually what they're doing you know like that you know testing say someone that does care for them to see whether they they will stay like do you think they're actually aware that that's what they're doing under like their underlying behavior I think it really depends so um I think if you go through like a reoccurring um like scenarios and the same thing happens again and again and you get used to doing this behavior where you push people away because they're only going to leave then you might not be aware that you're doing that in a sense but you know the consequence you know the outcome people are going to leave so I'm just going to do this now because then they're gone right so it's not necessarily having that awareness but I think something that's important to um to keep in mind is that when we're in that state of fight or flight or freeze block we're in this like heightened 
emotional state well yeah when we can't process our emotions whilst we're in that state right we're not rational that's our survival that's our our bodily instincts and our brain that are just going protect 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 so it's not like in that moment if that's what we're doing as a kind of if it's a trauma response we're not able to rationalize that in the moment so it's the same as saying like if you're having an argument with your partner with anybody you both just can't see each other's point of view and you're just getting anger and anger at each other you're in this heightened state and and actually the best thing to do is walk away and let each other let let yourselves regulate let yourselves calm down and then come back at it again from a different angle right when you're in it it's very hard to have that um have that self-awareness because your your survival instincts have taken over essentially you can't rationalize and in that state at the same time that's what i'm thinking because the words that keep coming up for me is like survival mode and like coping mechanisms and that's like how i see i don't know as what other people might call like bad bad behavior that's how i see it it's just someone that's in survival mode and that's their coping mechanism and like you were saying because in that at that time your emotions are so heightened you're not aware of like of things rationally so it's only actually i'm talking in the eye now for me it's like i i only realized certain traits like that once I was fully removed from it and I could start to look mm-hmm. look look back at my own actions yeah. and be truthful about them, you know, to myself and actually understand things. I think while while you're in it, that's why I was saying, do you think other people are aware? Like so I thinking, was it just me that was so blind? I didn't know. Yeah. But it's like when you're in it, you don't realise that those that those behaviours are actually coping mechanisms and that you're not actually doing this on purpose. This is just been your like survival yeah how you've survived all your life type thing so yeah yeah and I think that's you know what you're describing maybe is it is a really important thing in relation to um regulation you know because when we're, when we're children we actually can't regulate our nervous system on our own yeah we need adults to help us to do that yeah, we need other caregivers, yeah, to help us, yeah. So we can't, otherwise we can't get to the reasoning brain, yeah. So we, if we can't, if we fail to regulate ourselves, then we actually need somebody else to help regulate us, yeah, and to calm us down. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so that, this is a really important thing. So if we're abandoned, yeah, or if we have an experience of abandon or multiple abandonments, yeah, then that regulation, that co-regulation from other people has really been compromised. Um so we need that's why I mean I think quite often we need to be taken out of the situation or we need what we really need as children or as adults when we're in, a, in an overwhelmed state of in reaction or shutdown then what actually we need is a, another caring adult or another peer who can just be with us and, uh, and understand yeah, and ask ask what's happening can you describe how you're feeling is there anything that you need I'm noticing that you're angry I can feel it it seems difficult can we just sit together those simple things that are really really important to to meet any kind of behavior whether it be a shutdown being aggressive you know we know that meeting another person with anger and aggression you know never mean never never means that the the situation is is resolved um and we need a lot of care and compassion when we're in those activated emotional states i agree with that do you know what's really awkward though, right? That's exactly what we need. But when I was younger, if someone ever came to me with that in a genuine place, I'd be like, oh no, get away from me. You're dangerous, you are, because like you're being nice. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, I can't, I can't be in this place with you. Who are you? Why are you why are you being nice to me? Do you know what I mean? And then I'd reject it because I'm safe if I know what's going on. Like I can't have that person like knowing me like that do you know what I mean so it's just a complete like round and round here we go again what you're also talking about there is another um like the coping strategies and yeah and the the consequence of that abandonment and and one of those really key ones that is quite obvious is I think quite a lot of children that grow up in care that I've experienced have this kind of I can do it by myself I don't need you narrative like I've yeah. done it before I can do it again right like, because we've had to because we've had to get up and survive and it's easier sometimes just to get up and do it by yourself and it is to let somebody yeah. trust them because they're going to leave and that process then of 
starting to trust somebody and to let them in it is really long and really painful and it's a bit of like a tornado at times and I think that the only way that we can get through that is to have that that one always available adult that consistent person in your life that really believes in you that trusts in you and and allows you to come to terms with that in your own time you know and um, it shows you that they're not going to leave no matter what but not a lot of us get that in foster care I don't think yeah especially when we talk about multiple moves and different schools and different caregivers is it's abandonment and loss after loss isn't it so so you're saying that that there needs to be stability basically there needs to be less moving around (laughs) and more stable relationships also as well I wanted to touch on sometimes there's young people in care who you know the flight fight response some of us go into like freeze and internalize stuff and probably won't say anything and sometimes we don't get that much attention because we're not saying anything but we're hurting as well in that situation would that be the same kind of having that relationship and like speaking to the young person having somebody to just actually speak to that young because the young person might be having no issues doing well at school but still they're struggling um but you won't know because they're not showing any signs of it because they're in a frozen state is there anything you can suggest that would probably help yeah those quieter young people needs need just as much attention um and 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 just as much connection and maybe to take them out of the environments that that feel that that don't feel safe for example like schools and you know we're also i think we're also talking about professionals here and and care experience people have difficult relationships with uh, professionals often you know and that and that means that i mean i i think it often means that professionals need to take their professional hat off and become and show more of themselves yeah so why why would I why I, I remember working with um, therapists and um, and uh, social workers when I was younger and I wouldn't I just sip I wouldn't say anything I'd keep quiet you know and it was because I didn't know them I didn't know them I didn't know who they were why was I going to trust them so there's something about the type you know the type and depth of relationship to trust um, that is really important and that's particularly when people are in this kind of freeze and flop response as well yeah. Flop response is like, oh, I've just, I'm not, I'm just not showing up at all. And then a freeze is like, actually, when fight and flight has been overwhelmed. Yeah, if we can't fly and we can't fight, then we go into a freeze response um, and we shut down. And we need, we need to know that people are there still. Yeah, um, we need that sense of safety because our nervous systems, whatever, whatever the state we're in, whether we're in uh, social connection and connected to people or we're in fight or flight or in freeze, the body, the nervous system is trying to create safety for us because whatever it is, it's either too overwhelming or um, we need to get out of the situation or, um, or we feel safe in, in relationship with somebody. I just wanted to like take it back a moment, you know, when we were talking about like moving about you know like foster placements and things like that and moving schools and how that can be another form of abandonment and loss and it is every single time and another thing for me what I've started to realize by working with like within the care sector and just doing a bit more research is to like hearing people's stories and just see, seeing a few articles online like how people are removed from, from placements and how people are moved from one foster home to another foster home that in itself causes a lot more trauma for a young person and the way that I kind of make sense of it is I think the care system and social services can't obviously see the damage that they're causing because if they did then they wouldn't still be doing what they're doing like the way that they're moving young people if they really understood trauma and how it works and how it affects a young person, then they wouldn't still be doing the things that they're doing and taking children like in a midnight flick that's not even necessary. You know, obviously we all understand there's certain times where like extreme measures do have to be used and we completely get that, but not with every single young person. Not every single young, young person is an extreme case where they need to have all the things chucked in a bin liner then moved out of the house without even being able to say goodbye to the people that have cared for them you Mm. know and then there's no contact afterwards there's nothing set up for young people and foster carers to then meet up afterwards or if it is it takes absolutely months for that to be set up and it's like during that time 
the trauma that a young person goes through and the emotions and the feelings around yeah being being abandoned and being neglected and like that they're not that it's it's a them problem that they've been yeah. left because that they're not good enough or that they was wasn't wanted or which is you know all things that the care system could prevent and yeah I just wondered whether you like had any opinions on that yourselves I think we could probably spend a whole day on just talking about this in it yeah. you have to break it down into there's so many elements you have to break it down into right but I think for something that I having this conversation I try and like sum it up a bit for me is I think when we think about foster care so often so much of it is the priority is on that physical safety so we're often being removed from an environment that is um, dangerous or causing us harm right in some way so the the priority then of of especially if it's an emergency care order and the police are involved and you're kind of just whipped out with your bin bags and thrown into a whole new world the priority is to get that roof over your head are they going to be fed are they going to be clothed are they going to have somewhere safe to sleep are they going to be able to get to school all of that kind of stuff right and and the emotional stuff comes second to it um and the understanding of trauma like you say but i do think we are at a time right now where therapeutic foster parenting which basically is what we're talking about with being aware but having this trauma trauma lens and being aware of attachment of um the impact of loss of abandonment and everything else that comes with it of understanding our behavior is a communication of a need that is happening and more and more fostering Mm -hmm. agencies and more local authorities are picking up this therapeutic parenting style and I do hope that that's going to start to have more of an impact more of an impact as well I think about the the type of people that come into fostering as well yeah raise more awareness to the education of what it actually means like what we're going through and our stories and our journeys and will bring raise more awareness of of who it who what it means to be care experienced and hopefully then more more people might want to come into fostering you know but it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. <laughs> yeah, just picking up on what Evie said, there's also an issue around when you leave here as well, the transition from care to adulthood sometimes doesn't yeah. work that well. Um, you're still given bin bags. <laughs> you know, the bin yeah. bags are still there. So there's that, um, how is that communicated? Because often we leave care and we haven't got that, those networks, we haven't built those relationships. And we have to go into the big world and form those relationships. And we still have that trauma that we probably haven't healed from. And the additional trauma of we don't get to decide when we leave foster care. We don't get to say, yeah. oh, look, I'm ready to go. You, there's, there's an age limit on it. And we start getting prepared for independence. But what does independence mean? Being alone, right? Like that's not what the focus should be on. And that in itself is another abandonment, another loss that we'll experience right at the end of that care journey. This is what you're describing here is also children and young people's rights issue, as in treating children and young people as as experts of their own experience and life. And this means relationship-based practice where children and young people are really included in those transitions and understanding what is what is happening. And that um, social workers and a- anyone else working with these children and young people um, have the trauma-informed lens so that they can actually sit down and have a real conversation and, uh, to try to help with the understanding and the transition so that it doesn't feel like another abandonment and actually it doesn't feel lonely. You know, because there is inevitably in all of, in all of these experiences going to be sen- a, a sense of loss and um, fear. But actually, how can relationship-based and therapeutic practice support that to be, you know, less so, you know, more more supported and, and make sure that the children's voice is included um, and, and, and that, that they understand the decisions that are made on their behalf and where possible are actually really included in those decisions. Yeah, like Mary was saying earlier about they physically look after us like we're fed clothed etc but I feel like all of our relationships that are I say permanent but also like changing social workers or professionals change as well but you've always got a social worker or a foster care or a you know all of our relationships up to the point of leaving care are professional relationships and that focus on our physical safety moving us around actually hinders any personal relationships that we may make friendships relationships of any kind so when when we do reach 18 and all of that professional uh, input goes away we're then left with no one that's not being paid to interact with us yeah and i feel like if they put more 
effort and resources into us being able to build those relationships with people outside of the professional sphere like when the professionals go it's not it's going to be like that the professional end is gone not the personal relationships that we have with other care experienced people older care experienced people you know whoever we make friends with along the way I think that would be a really good way of looking at it I felt like my whole like care experience had been like buzzing buzz 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 and then when I turned well I left before I turned 18 because I'd rather leave than be left so I left first I'm going do you know what I mean and then it was just like silence and I was like hey don't really know what to do now I think that was a big thing what you said as well like that they're paying to be our carers yeah like it kind of reinforces that idea that or that feeling that of rejection, like, oh, they have, they're only here because they have to be. Yeah, they're getting or paid. Yeah, they're getting paid to be here, or like, and it can, it can transfer for me anyway. It, it has transferred into relationships outside of that. Yeah. Whereas, like, you can be in a normal relationship and you kind of think to yourself, why, why are they nice to me, or yeah. why do they want to be have my company, or, and whenever something bad happens, like they mess you around or don't treat you the way you expect to be treated yeah it really hurts yeah like, it really hurts and it kind of reinforces that again so yeah it's a difficult one it really is yeah yeah like what do i have to give them because everyone's always it's, it's more it's more like uh, what you give them they can they can perceive it as like worthless or yeah it's not important or it's not valued and when to you it is yeah and that's that's where it can you know can get yeah it is, yeah, it is it's very a strange thing. Very strange. When everyone in your life has been paid to be there, you're a bit like, um, they don't want to be my friend. <laughs> you know I, mean? I was just gonna ask uh, either Mary or Jamie, um, is that a common thing for people that's suffered with like trauma or being difficult relationships where they it usually sort of transfers into other relationships. It often depends on the relationship. But yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we can carry our relational adaptations, I guess, into, into other relationships. So, and what we really need is in, in relationships for our lives is, well, I suppose one of the most important things is that we really feel cared for. Yeah, this feeling of feeling cared for and being given time to. And um, it's, it's this fit felt, felt sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Really helpful for us to feel safe and actually to start to maybe name and recognise what these adaptive behaviours are. Because we need, because we, we can only know that through feeling safe enough to, to know it. And then to maybe start to make some different decisions about, you know, um, letting some of those go or easing them up, you know, because a lot because they're generally protective. We come back yeah. to that again. We're, we're protecting ourselves, and particularly with partners, it might be to do with I'm worried about they're going to abandon me. I'm hyper vigilant, you know. I'm um, I'm uh, keeping an eye on all their social media. I'm you know, and and but actually, all of that behaviour is because we desperately want to connect. We desperately want that connection. We want that love, but but understandably, there's a there's a fear, there's a fear of abandonment, and there's a worry about. Um, um, so what we really need is is partners, um, family members, you know, to really just be there and 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 understand, and and not necessarily think of our behaviours as what they are, but actually seeing them as communications for for connection, for actually for wanting wanting love. And even when we're pushing away, you know, when we push away, we really want connection. That's the baseline, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of of summarising it. In the sense, I think we were talking when we were chatting earlier. We we're talking about um, Dr. Gabor Mate, who's an incredible trauma guy, um, and he talks about trauma as a disconnection from oneself. Um, so I think that if we can understand that. All of our behaviours, that, that so if we have this lack of connection or these feelings of abandonment in our early years, then any relationship prior to that, right, if we haven't been shown the right way, if we haven't felt the connection, if we haven't felt the love, if we haven't felt the safety, we don't know how to then exhibit that in healthy ways, right? We haven't learned it, so we can't do it. So all everything that we do in our behaviours in terms of relationships, we are essentially that we're trying to connect it's all about connection right so we're either trying to we're doing behaviors that we think are going to connect whether that is so another one of the f's is fawning um fight flight freeze fawn lot so fawning is like 
people pleasing. This is one that I exhibited so much growing up in care because I was absolutely terrified that if I said or did something wrong, that I would get split up from my brother um, or we would, yeah, we would get moved on to another placement. So it was always, I had no boundaries. I was very, um, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, whatever you say, sir, right? Because I, I had, I formed to it. So, but that was my my way of trying to connect is trying to have this relationship where I feel safe and connected so that I'm not going to get moved on right so it is it, it all comes back down to that as yes yeah, from my perspective it's, it's always about connection I have a question I just wanted to go off of what uh, Jamie was saying about young people having someone to go to um what if that young person doesn't have anyone to go to then what would you suggest like you can't go to like a parent or someone if a young person doesn't have that ability to go to I suppose my answer to that is that every young person has should have somebody absolutely have somebody to go to and if if they haven't then our system is failing them Mm. Uh, they need to have somebody who they can absolutely trust and this care of you that's going through at the moment needs to make sure that that is a reality but if they don't well then they then there's only one way and that is to go in inwards yeah to their nervous system yeah to to go into shutdown or to fight flight that that's the unless they feel connected to and can express their emotional world and how they're feeling. All our young people, all our care experienced adults need one caring adult, one caring mentor who's got their back. I think that's a, there is a YouTuber on this by a care experienced person called One Caring Adult. And I remember the story of this foster carer who keeps, like he, he uh, the 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 guy who whose story it's about he keeps going out and causing all sorts of mayhem and being picked up by the police and the foster carer keeps coming and says it doesn't matter how many times you do this I'm still going to be here I'm still going to care for you yeah and this is what our children and young people need in care or who have experienced any kind of trauma absolutely need one caring adult and that might be um Another care experience, adult. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Our older care yeah. experience, adults. You know that would be wonderful. Let's let's have some more of that across the generations. Is what I would say. That would be really great. Like a, an alumni or something. Like I wish that leaving care felt like a graduation. You know, like you graduated now you're an alumni. You know, I feel like where we're in foster placements now, we're all kind of um, in the dark corners of the UK. And it's only been since I found charities like Become and Leap and all these places where there's other care experienced people like me. And I I really do feel like it's been a real like healing part of like, you know, like a part of my life. I've got to a part of my life where I've met other people. And yes, our experiences aren't exactly the same. But if you go to the root of it, you don't even really need to say. You just mention something and then both of you look at each other and go, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's that you don't have to put it into words. You're in a space where you are completely understood. And that in itself is healing. Like, because that is something that it's identity, understanding of, like, other people understanding who you are, what you mean, like, your intent, you know? And, yeah, that's that's amazing. That's something that I've found to be really helpful as I've grown up. My question, well, I had a few questions. I've gone a bit blank now. But um, I wanted to know, like, how, how you would navigate for a care experience per- person that has a lot of care experience friends. And obviously, we all, all at different healing journeys and different stages. How would you navigate trauma bonding? How would you how would you be able to identify that, you know, your friendships that you've got are like, you know, you have a relation. You can identify being through the care system, being care experience, having abandonment and rejection. But how do you navigate that really so like you're not always trauma bonding with a care experienced person because that can also put a lot of strain in relationships and friendship groups it's a wonderful question leanne um and um i think mary introduced the idea of you know trauma has been being a disconnection from our bodies so i guess you know part of part of belonging is is coming back to belonging to our body yeah so i suppose in relation to your question what i would say is that um it's about really feeling into yourself this how, how am i feeling in the relationship with this other person yeah 
Am I feeling overwhelmed a lot of the time? Do I feel like I'm carrying a lot? Do we do we need support? You know, that that would be a question that I would kind of say is that because sometimes, you know, we're maybe holding more and we need to have a boundary and kind of go, oh, do you know what? This this is a little bit overwhelming for me, this conversation or talking about some of these things. I wonder if one or both of us need support from somebody else, you know, around this. Um, so it's about not feeling you're, you're taking on this, you know, what you're saying, trauma bonding, that you're not kind of taking on trauma or feeling re-traumatized. If that's happening, then what we need is some, some uh, support probably from a therapist or another care experienced person who's kind of got more, you know, uh, experience of uh, trauma and regulation to, to help support us, possibly. But I do something about re- like resonance. Mm-hmm. I think that, Alice, you this is what you were getting at, I think, this kind of re- mutual resonance that we might have as a community. And sometimes it's about saying, oh, you know what, let's just put aside our care experience today. Let's just hang out. But yeah, this trauma bonding is a really it's a really interesting topic. I I I only just heard this this term recently, and it it's something to be aware of, and just just checking in with yourself and your body, and and knowing when where your boundaries are really, and and whether whether actually you feel good in it, you feel okay. Oh, actually, maybe I don't feel quite quite there today to to meet up with that friend. I just wanted to just say one, just connecting to that, what Jamie was saying, and like what you're saying, Leanne. I felt same. I feel like I've done that with people in the past. Like I've bonded with them because of similar traumas. But then it's come to a realisation that actually they might not actually be a proper friend. We've just shared similar experiences, but our morals don't align and we're not the same people. And and a friendship isn't really how I see us type thing. And that's fine. I think for me, there were always that saying, you know, like you heard, and there's like a, the things on films, like the gut feeling. And I, I never understood what a gut feeling was. But to me, I what I see as a gut, gut feeling and what I think my gut feeling is, feeling is and how I know whether them friendships are real or not is like what Jamie said, is just like being with myself and just really thinking like, if there's something not quite right, I can't put my finger on it. That's my gut instinct telling me that things just aren't quite right and yeah. to just step back and to remove myself so like yeah that's it just it just made me think it's like for such a long time though I I didn't know what myself what my body was telling myself or what my brain was telling myself and it was in it's only until like I really take a step back and ask myself what am I feeling and sometimes I might literally be sat in front of a mirror saying to myself what am I feeling and like having a little conversation with myself and like when you are 13, 14, 15, you think if you talk to yourself that you've got problems, but you've not. Like, talk to yourself all day long. Like, if you need to talk something through with yourself and get clarity, and yeah, do it. Don't make you stupid at all. It makes you, actually, in my eyes, having a lot of sense. (laughs) Self-awareness as well. It leads to that self-awareness of what am I thinking, what am I feeling? And from that, you can start to set yourself healthy boundaries, saying, well, actually, when I'm in this situation and I feel like this, this is what I'm going to do. If if this, then this. You can start setting those then self like boundaries for yourself that enable you to help self heal. I'm showing something on the camera, but you won't see it on the podcast. But it's it's a feelings wheel, yeah. So this is something we can all look at online. We can uh, Google the feelings wheel, yeah, and and help use this to help us understand what we're feeling in the moment. And you might have heard of the um, feelings, thoughts, and behaviors cycle. Yeah, and this is just a really helpful cycle. So if you think, so we check in with ourselves. How am I feeling right now? What am I thinking about the situation? And what's my behavioral response? So it might be, oh, I'm feeling really anxious about meeting with my friend. And my thoughts are, oh, I, I don't think they uh, I don't think they really gelled with me last time. And I'm feeling, you know, I'm, I'm not 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 feeling the relationship. And then my behavior is to you know, kind of run away. I'm going to just run away and not go into the situation. Yeah. So that's kind of a, what we call an automatic behaviors. And then what we can then do is start to think about, well, what are the alternative thoughts and behaviors that we might be able to, to explore instead? I just wanted to say about Leanne's question. I completely understood what she meant, but I've met care experienced people before and they, they're not as far along as I am necessarily in understanding who they are. 
uh, having the kind of interpersonal skills of building a healthy relationship. And I've found myself allowing their behaviour and not standing up for my boundaries because they have care experience and, you know, being like, oh, they need that person, though. They need that person that doesn't walk away. But I got to a point where I was like, yes, they do need that person, but also you don't have to be that person. And if it's being that detrimental to how you're feeling, then this isn't healthy for either party. And that person that they need, you can't actually be that person. So it's going to end badly either way you look at it. And I've learned that saying that out loud to them is actually more comforting than, than either dropping it off and being like avoidant or being the person they want and not actually being that person and letting them down. I love the feelings wheel you've got because at the start it's like very basic and it moves on to a more a different like you know you've got the good bad feeling is it happy is it sad and then what kind of happy or sad is it what kind of and then it gets deeper and deeper because sometimes I know I'm in a situation where I am overwhelmed and I can't identify or verbalize or understand how I'm feeling and sometimes being that basic like is this a good feeling is it a bad feeling is it a physical feeling or is this a brain feeling like am I thinking something that's making me feel this way or am I having a physical reaction that I can't understand because I like mentally I feel fine and bringing it back so basic and then it gets easier the more you practice because it's not something that we get time to do when we're in care there's never that reflection because it's like one war zone to the next. We're never getting that, you know, the downtime. And, and even when there is downtime, that's scary too, because you just sat waiting for the next like storm to hit. So I think that practicing that kind of also lets you know who you are better. And once you know who you are better, you're better able to connect with other people. You're not, you're not lost as much as you are when, when you're, you know, confused about how you're feeling in yourself. So, yeah, and I wanted to say as well, just because we have care experience and I know that I've been I've been negative in, in relationships. I've been the one that's been given the problems instead of the other people. And yes, we need understanding and yes, we need patience. But I also feel like it's not an excuse to be abusive. Um, and I feel like we need to hold ourselves accountable but also be understanding as to where that's coming from and I've learned as well that if I verbalize how I'm feeling and communicate to the person who I would like to be there for me how I'm feeling why I'm feeling it and what they could potentially do it's like the behavior is a communication right I've tried to like make it a verbal thing instead of a physical or like you know an outburst kind of thing I may be jumping but there was a really beautiful thing Jamie you mentioned about forgiveness and just showing grace to yourself and I also feel like when you start healing yourself realizing looking back on things that you may have missed in your life good relationships and that all starts coming back to you sometimes for myself personally speaking I felt like really guilty and really upset like saddened that you know I didn't get to experience this I wonder what like it, it could have been like this time 10 years ago it makes you really think on the best ways to tell your former self what you could say or said to yourself to just comfort yourself in terms of like when you're self-regulating and just checking in. So I wanted to just ask if you had any of those key little phrases that, you know, people listening incorporate. It makes me think of the Buddhist loving kindness uh, process. So, but but really we could call this kind of radical compassion and self-acceptance and seeing, I I think, really building on what Alice you were saying about how do we meet our emotions or how do we meet memories with like a, oh yeah let me breathe and recognize that that's what's coming up for me that memory is coming up and I really want to forgive myself yeah for that time yeah when I was feeling uh, angry or vulnerable um so it's a really uh, um yeah really really coming to ourselves and our experience with a radical acceptance and compassion there is a uh, there is a wonderful care experienced buddhist teacher called valamasara valerie mason john and she has a practice called the five basic needs of the heart um and if you google that you will find this the most wonderful loving kindness meditation that she she has 
Um, and that that is one thing I would uh, I'd really uh, suggest looking up, particularly because she's one of our crew and has been through a lot and, and has really, you know, done some wonderful things, particularly around addiction, but also around shame and 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 um, and recovery really and um uh and it's all this stuff really i think what you were talking about alice there is about you know self-accountability but also bringing compassion to ourselves and i i do love that it's the it's, it's the shift from i'm really angry at you to saying i'm really angry about something and i yeah. need i need someone to just sit with me so i can understand what is going on for me be able to describe it and then to maybe bring some compassion to it as a, as a practice that's going to stick with me for a really long time um but, the self-compassion and how it's framed because like you don't hear it enough and you don't realize that it's a very subconscious thing sometimes yeah. and you may not say it but like when you sit back and when you're alone it's normally when you're alone you realize that you're well me be myself and I'm sure a lot of care experienced people are the biggest critics and like they don't yeah. really, they forget how far they've come and like sometimes it just drops on you like wow I'm amazing like xyz happened to me and like Billy down the corner who's not had one like thing go wrong in his life in terms of being like you know misplaced um rejected abandoned and um you you, you can handle things so well and we do it with so much grace and I think that's one thing people listening really need to remember as well. Yeah. I'll do a quick practice with you. Put, if you put one hand on your heart and one on your belly, yeah? Yep. So breathe in slowly through your nose and out softly through your nose. And then say to yourself, I deserve love and compassion. I deserve love and compassion. Always. Always. And just really feel that self-holding, yeah, that you're holding yourself. And if you like, grab a cushion. Buy yourself the most amazing heart cushion if you can and practice this. Breathe in slowly, out softly. I deserve compassion, yeah, even in the most difficult moments, even in the most shameful moments. I deserve it. And everybody else deserves it too. I, yeah, I want to send out love and compassion to everybody else even the people that I'm really struggling with right now. And that's that's the essence of loving kindness meditation from, from the Buddhist practice. That was amazing. When you've got someone who's dealt with like like trauma or like abandonment and get like attachment issues and things like that, like I think people normally think that well, people normally think that you push people away and you test them to see whether or not they deserve to be in your life. But I think other people can as well change themselves to make sure that they are similar, like whether it be like a friend or like a, like a partner or like it's like a placement, but they change themselves and them likes so that they're similar so that they don't like leave. Um, I just think like, People, I don't think people recognise that enough that some people actually change themselves so that they yeah. that relationship continues that it doesn't it doesn't go away. And I think also, Ash, what you're saying is about some. I suppose if you can take this in in if you can flip it into the positive though, is it can be just when actually attachment is earned attachment is starting to work. Yeah, when we start to earn a secure attachment where you haven't had one in the past, actually because the relationship is starting to there's a balance. <laughs> Uh, maybe as well so that's another thing to recognize is that we could although we might have a particular way of attaching yeah we it can change through relational um you know relational healing is through relational support so there can be you know we can we can really learn to be in relationship and attachment through through more and more attunement and that takes work on both our parts really like like you were saying alice you know it's uh, our resp- our responsibility and our um, and our uh, partner's responsibility. So if we can actually get into a position where each of us can say, oh, I'm feeling this, and then yeah. feeling that, oh, let's both go down and write how we're feeling and what we're thinking of saying to each other. <laughs> yeah. And then but come back like in half hour when we're not arguing and just sit and have a cup of tea, and then we'll talk about it instead of arguing at it. You know, that's yeah, another way. You're both you're both arguing over the fact that you really love each other and and, and that's that's at the base of it. 
that's half the, that's most of the reason why you're arguing. Yeah, I also think it really helped me personally on my journey of kind of like acceptance and stuff to a the education to understand trauma, the brain. Like actually educating myself on that really helped. And that doesn't happen in foster care. I studied psychology to to get this understanding, and it's an ongoing journey. Understanding that healing is a lifelong process. It's not a tick box thing. It's not like oh done that onto the next. Yeah. Like it will ebb and it will flow. And in terms of like going back to the question about things that help us get through, one of the quotes that really helps me is thinking of our emotions as like clouds, as like the weather, right? So like we don't have control over what is going on in our brain, like necessarily like thoughts will pop in and they'll go. And eventually the more that we learn that that we can't control the input, but we can control what we choose to keep hold of. Um, that kind of really helped me. So I think of emotions are like clouds so I can't you can't control the weather you just have to wait for the clouds to pass and the sun will come out um and sometimes that just helps me when I'm in a funk and I'm just like why am I feeling like this like why can't I just feel good that sometimes you just have to sit in it um and you can kind of help yourself with different coping strategies and stuff but sometimes you just have to feel the bad um yeah and the more you get used to the bad the less afraid of it you are when it does come along and being less afraid sometimes feels like it's not going to come along it's that fear of it coming that almost makes it come yeah yeah so once you get I, used to it yeah. yeah exactly I also think like another thing that we've touched on which I'm going to come back to just quickly is 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 the essence of community and and relationships and and the fact that like the the trauma has happened due to relationships due to malfunctional relationships right so it's, it's about us connecting it's these kind of conversations and and that's another loss that we don't have throughout our care journey we don't have other care experience people to look up to or to connect with or to say like they've been through all of this and they're doing okay I must, there must be a way you know we don't yeah. necessarily get to see that um but that's why like I mean it took till, till I was 25 and I reached out on Twitter and started posting and then I kind of connected with Jamie and some other like I've got a whole bunch of care experience friends now that like I'm not even friends with all of them but you know allies like we're all in the same room yeah. Experiences and we can share and and it's that kind of experience that really matters and makes a difference um and being in this room with you guys as well just as like what we're doing right now part of the journey isn't it yeah that word allies i love that that's what we need to create in the care community is allies with one another yeah 100 percent on that and that included what we would I can't remember what we called them but they were like tools that we all shared together as a group what were they they were called the calming moments and like everybody could say a calming like something that they do to calm themselves or feel regulated you know so 
so that kind of mutual learning and support i think is is amazing or 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 going to do some workshops on you know trauma and uh, any any of these things there's so much online now like you could you could google attachment and understanding trauma and aces and all these things so there's there's a lot of capacity for self-help but i always think you know the kind of work that you guys are doing coming together talk about talking about things together developing a shared language together and understanding is far more powerful one of the most regulating things that you can do and and you know learning at your own pace together like really developing that together is so important um, there's also definitely a, a space for um people like trauma therapists um um uh, and uh, counselors so that you can can get your can understand your story therapeutic life story workers i'm going to really give a shout out to therapeutic life story workers because very few care experienced people understand about them know about them or access them so this is a fantastic service because it's a it's kind of a mixture of therapy and helping you to piece your story together yeah, so th- this is this is something that should be much more widely available throughout the life course. Yeah, if you're going to collect your um, records, see if you can ask your local authority for a therapeutic life story work worker, um, or or just Google it. Yeah, just uh, yeah. seriously, I just think this is this we everybody should have one of these. Uh, it's it's so important, and uh, there's lots of different. There's lots of different uh, services I could suggest to you. So you, you can access therapy through and um, improving access to psychological therapies, IAP through the NHS. You can Google that and um, you can self-refer. So you can jump your GP. Not many people know that. Um, there is the free psychotherapy network. So Google free psychotherapy network and you'll find them. If you look at the hub of hope, you can find all charities, local charities listed that will will offer therapy and there's loads of them about such as mind or all sorts of different organizations that will possibly be able to offer some kind of therapeutic support um so it's always don't give up on the nhs like look at look look a bit wider as somebody who's trained as a therapist i'd also say look towards the therapy training schools as well those students are generally very good they get really good supervision and you get good long-term therapy for a very, very little. So, um, you know, I would definitely champion that, as well as this mutual group support. I grew up with a, a therapy session every week from, like, 12 years old till I was 17, and I just wanted to, like, shout out, because I know a lot of care-experienced people, like, a lot of my friends wouldn't have therapy when they were young because they'd say there's nothing wrong with me. And I was lucky that I didn't hold that belief because trust me, I knew it was everyone else. I was fine, literally, like I knew it was everyone else. And I used to go to therapy to moan about everyone else and say how it was them and it was this. And I did learn sometimes that it was me, but I wanted to say to everyone, like, it's not about what's wrong with you. It's not, it's not about that. There should not be no stigma about having helped to develop your brain as you grow up there's no there's nothing bad about you to need therapy everyone could benefit from it it's not a bad thing it's not a dirty word and I just wanted to put that out there that I honestly feel like I wouldn't be who I am without that input when I was younger and my therapist shout out to Eve and Chandra and Andrea um I had different ones as I moved through the therapy but like they were my person they were my people that I could go to and I knew that I was encouraged I was loved and it gave me hope and I really wanted other people to know that that is a possibility for you um if you ever get the opportunity to have therapy I love, I absolutely love that. Like, yeah, go you, Alice. Like, I personally, I think that every, I just think everyone in the world should should have therapy, yeah. and especially every single child that comes into care it should be part of it's part of our rights as children within the care system. And so, if you ever get the opportunity, yeah, I, I would take it. And if you have any questions as well, if you're like not quite sure about that, you can uh, like reach out to one of these resources or you know get in touch with us and 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 have a chat about what it what it's like because. It can be really life changing being able to understand, OK, this is what happened. And then this is maybe why it happened and understand that it wasn't your fault. And this is what you can now do moving forward. It's, it's, a, it's a good process. Yeah. And don't be put off if one doesn't work. Keep going yes, and try exactly. and find what's for you. Yeah. Find what's for you. You've got to try on all the hats. Yeah. Yeah.
I wanted to uh, just quickly to also shout out the Ask Jan Reese Foundation um, membership because you can if you if you get that membership either through self-funding or applying to Reese Foundation, you can get access to a whole range of different support like sessions of therapy. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy and various other services like a um like a hotline to citizens advice bureau yeah so it's it's such a good service and it's it's not really known about but particularly i think for the therapeutic support because you can get really quick therapy uh, it might only be eight sessions to begin with but it's that that those eight sessions can make a difference and uh, particularly when you're you're in crisis and maybe you need you're waiting for some other therapy so thank you We'll be sharing all the links and the names of what was discussed in the description on the podcast. So I want to thank you, Jamie and Mary, for coming along today and for everybody for participating. And I just wanted to quickly ask like one key thing that everyone's going to take away from today's episode. I know for myself is the fact around understanding that some of the behaviors that we exhibit, whether positive or negative, is survival. Is that putting it to understand that we're just trying to survive and it's normal all humans do it and you know it's just something that we do so not to kind of feel bad or you know be down on ourselves about certain things that we do to survive Alice thank you Shanika I you know what I'm going to just take away the feeling I have of just connectedness and how happy I am I am that we've had this conversation and the hope that this reaches people and in some way changes their ideas of things or how they feel about things. So, yeah, that's that's my takeaway from it. And I'll pass to Leanne. Thanks, Alice. For me, I'm just learning, like, ways to just love on yourself um, and to just forgive yourself, really. And I'm just going to pass this on to as many care experienced people as I can and just create that, that community that we need. I'll pass it on to Ash, if you're there. Yeah. Um... I think something that I'm taking away from today is that um, you learn through time to like deal with things. So that there's stuff like as a child that I processed a teenager, there's stuff that like a teenager that I've processed now. And I think there's still things now that I'm still learning about myself and like my boundaries and things like that. And I think like I'm always going to be learning. I'm always going to be like, like you change as a person as you grow up. Um, so I guess like it's all right to not know everything now like it will come in time I'll pass it to Anya what I learned was that it's good to have someone with you to always keep you on the right track so that's like whether it's friends family or even like if you're still in care then your carer or social worker just to always keep you going and keep you like within the good place rather than the bad places. George? I think I'm going to take away was probably recognising my feelings more um, and actually acknowledging them. And I really like the idea of the feelings, Will, because uh, I feel like for me the main thing is to, uh, to not only recognise that I'm feeling something, but also try to understand if it is a good feeling, if it's a bad feeling, what I need to do to, if I need to change how I feel or, help deal with how I'm feeling. So I think recognising that is probably the first step for me. And yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Evie, have you got? So I was trying to think, like, what is one thing that I'm taking from this? Because there's so many things that I'm taking. But I'd say, like what Ash said, I'm always going to be learning. But one thing that I've kind of recently been coming to terms with and what this evening has, like, just helped me, again, it's helping me come to terms with is that it is a process in that it is a journey and it's it isn't a tick box it is an ongoing process and that I'm okay with that now like I think at one point I was really not okay with that um but now I accept it and I'm quite happy with it because it means that I'm going to be constantly evolving and constantly growing and constantly learning so that's it's that's a good thing to me um and as well, I really loved what you did earlier, Alice, by just giving your person um, a little shout out. And I'm doing that in the yeah. little quotation marks. And I'd just like to give my person a shout out to. I've had a couple of my people, but one lady who really, really helped me was Lindsay from Bernardo's. And she was absolutely 
out of this world incredible and yeah people like that they really do deserve to be shouted out and deserve to know how much their support helped us yeah and I just think that's a lovely way to close it today I'm going to pass on to now Jamie I guess I'm taking away it, just reinforcing just the power of coming together in, in 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 our community and in groups. I'm just I'm always blown away when I come to join in different groups. And I think you're all amazing, and you're doing all the healing work through what through this, you know, through this process of being with each other. And it's just a it's, it was a real honour to be invited to come along today. And uh, um, I'm, I'm a bit jealous actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll have you back on. But um, but I also know, you know, I've, I, I, I myself, I've got some good group, you know, people as well. And I really want, I suppose why I want to give to the community out there listening in is good, like find other care experience people and come together, come together in groups and, and be together even in just like talking about films or whatever but just come together and feel that resident resonance of like mutual healing that's that's what I'm taking away today yeah and I'll pass over to Mary yeah there's so so much snippets of gold that we're all taking away it's um it's been an absolute joy to be having this conversation with you guys and and I hope we can come back and, and continue it because I'm sure we've got so much more to say um for me I'm really feeling that power of like very similar to, to, to what, what has already been said, but that power of us of doing it for ourselves, of 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 that connection, that relationships that that when we come together and we understand we don't have to share our stories, but we know that we've been through this shared experience and now we are supporting ourselves and, and each other to hopefully go on that healing journey, learning that that is lifelong and learning that like it, we could just be kind of ourselves because we're all going through it we're not alone in this like we're all going through this journey um and it's messy and we're in it together um and and it makes me feel really empowered leaving this conversation today knowing that yeah so thank you for sharing the space everyone thank you <laughs> thank you for listening in <laughs>